221 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, and with me on the line from the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts, it's Doomwake, a.k.a. Devin O'Donnell. Devin, I thought you were in Rhode Island. No, Massachusetts the whole time. Um, the whole time. Maybe until I eventually move to Rhode Island, but who knows? Maybe that'll be in the near future. But yeah, Mass- Massachusetts, the great common world. I've been, I've been, or something like that. Misallocating you. I've been telling all my friends, oh, you <laughs> gotta be enough, my, 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 my Rhode Island buddy. The smallest state. Does with that the make biggest me? Heart. Uh, does Does that make me less of a celebrity than that I'm from Mass instead of Rhode Island? Yeah, like it's a smaller pool, heard... as everybody knows. <laughs> Yeah, it's like when you're from Massachusetts, you have to compete with like Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, mm, some other, some other true. people. Also, that's the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. Dave, you're from Ohio, which is like it's like the Massachusetts of the Midwest, right? Uh, I don't think Massachusetts appreciates that analogy very much. And <laughs> to be honest, I like a lot of people from Massachusetts, but the Bo- uh, uh, Boston sports teams are some of my least favorite teams that are around i hate the red Sox. i don't really like the patriots anyway we talk about some other Mm -hmm. time uh it is early folks team maybe for you it is it is it's (laughs) 6 30 a.m in chicago it is 7 30 a.m in massachusetts stan it's the middle of the day for you glad we keep this working um we are hopping on a little bit early so that devin can go and play the pioneer showcase challenge right after this is that right Yes, thank you, thank you to both of you for accommodating the schedule. It's uh, you know the it's the Pioneer Showcase, yeah. It's yeah. Be, hopefully, hopefully I'll do well, but yeah, fingers crossed. I saw last night that you were registered for it already. When I was on Magic Online, I was I that f- event got fed to me, and I was like, oh look at that, Dumwake's already already in here, got his tickets in. Uh, yeah. Don't want to get sold out. Uh, I did want to say my my wife actually said that us moving it this early made her day. So I actually appreciate you guys moving it to this time as well. Um, because now we can go do some other stuff during the middle of the day. So 6.30 every week. Is that what we're doing from now on? <laughs> sure. <laughs> no difference to Stan, right? Right. My kid is napping right now. It's actually, it was really <laughs> perfect. I'll get to record an entire pod during nap time, I think. Perfect. All right. On this week's show, we're going to keep diving into Pioneer in a post-March of Machine. March of the Machine? March with the Machines world. We're going to go through some of the decks that Devin has had success with so far. It's a it's a Pioneer Deck Fest brought to you by Doomwake. And we've tried some of them. Dave and myself have too. So we're going to share our experiences and bounce our ideas off of Devin's head. And then we're going to take a quick trip through Modern with some comprehensive data shared by one of MTG Twitter's best stat sharers, Anil Yahi. Shared a lot of really interesting insights from the post-Yorian ban metagame. So we have a lot of data there to, to talk through. But before all that, let's do some housekeeping. We have a new patron to join the Dive Down Nation by the name of Dive Down Fan. That's their name on Patreon. I'll take it. That's unbelievable. It must be a fan. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out. I wonder out. if they've had that for a while and they're just like a fan of like Spelunking and Scuba. And then they found our pod. <laughs> Does that mean a and d is coming with them for their podcast called The Dive Down as well? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We should Not litigate. Again. Thank you, Dive Down fan, for joining The Dive Down Nation. We also got a new review from Greg MMI. Thanks, Greg. We appreciate you. Refer to us as uh, 
a chill MTG pod. We are pretty chill. Devin, are you chill? I do say so myself. I'm like kind of chill. You're kind of chill. On certain days, depending on what time of the day it is. How about at 7.30 a.m. Eastern? I feel like I'm I'm pretty chill at 7.30 because I don't really, you know, not a lot going on up there. Right. Mm. Fair. That's why we have good notes. Make sure we get yeah. those brains firing. <laughs> All right. And it, so if you would like to support us on Patreon... Check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us directly with some merch. If you want to buy a hat, a, uh, a shirt, we have some new shirts coming. I keep saying they are, they are coming soon. I promise that's at divedown.com, the divedown.com slash store. Um, there is a bunch of Patreon swag that is just about done. Going to show up at Shane's house in the next week or so. So we should be putting putting together tokens, pins, stuff like that that we owe people soon. Playmats, boxes will go out at the same time. I know that people have been waiting for a while for some of those things to happen. We're about to do a big merch dump, as we call it, or swag dump, I guess, to a, a lot of people. So uh, keep an eye on your mailboxes for that. So, so, so swag dump. <laughs> Great. <laughs> that, we're going to get cease and desist from my other podcast. That's That's my... <laughs> My secret revenue stream. Um, If you want to support us as well by playing Magic Online, check out Mana Traders. Mana Traders is the best way to rent Magic cards. The Dive Down 2023 to get 10% off of your first two months of card rentals. You can go to Barrister and Man, our uh, lovely skincare partner, and get 15% off your first order. Dive Down 2023. We'll do a little more discussion about what's going on with Barrister and Man a little later in the show. And then if you want to go help out our friends... At Nerd Rage Gaming, they want to help you buy some paper cards. Use code DIVE8 and get 8% off. I will say, if you go check out Norman, the team right now at Nerd Rage Gaming, I saw on Twitter that they won Best Game Store of the Year. I'm not sure who issued this particular award to them, but they were doing a bit of a sale around that. It might only have been this weekend, but go check it out. Nerd Rage Gaming, they're great people. They help out Magic players around Chicago and the Upper Midwest quite a bit. So, Nerd Rage Gaming. Let's hop right into some talk about modern really quick before we get into Pioneer. Um, Like Stan said at the beginning of the show, we had one of those incredible data dump tweets come out from uh, Anil Yahi, who is someone who I think is worth keeping an eye on on Twitter, does a lot of kind of, I don't know if it's necessarily advanced, but comprehensive stats kind of sharing occasionally once every couple months. This is a six-month sample that covers all the time from Yorion being banned until today. So the, the dates on this data is 10-10-2022 to 4-24-2023. You should check it out on Twitter. Uh, it's Yahi Anil. It's just in a tweet. It's four images in a tweet. And here's, here's what the images were. One was a matchup grid with wins and loss data for a whole bunch of different, um, a whole bunch of different decks, uh, maybe the top 14, 15 decks or so. Another thing was a win rate chart with confidence intervals. So you can just check out the actual confidence intervals of the calculations that went into finding these win rates, a prevalence data chart showing what the metagame is made up of, and then a scatter plot chart that kind of combined all those things into one thing that Anil then laid tiers on top of, which was was pretty interesting to see. We're not going to go through a ton of the data here, but I did want to want to mention a couple of things that I kind of felt like I learned looking at it and get Devin and, and Stan's reaction to those things, see what they thought about these conclusions coming from the data. Um, the first thing I think we have to start with if we look at this is going to be prevalence. So this is just the simplest thing in the world. This is what the, the modern metagame is. The thing is, 
over the last six months, the modern Reddit game is exactly what you think it would be, I think. And it's not too surprising except for maybe one thing. So there's, I, when I looked at this group, there's, there's like 30 decks on this list that Anil put together this chart. It's a big, like, you know, percentage chart, bar chart, basically. There's really two group, groups for me or three groups. There's people above 5% of the meta. There's decks that are below 5% of the meta. And then there's decks that are below 2% of the, 2.5% uh, of the meta is kind of where I drew the line. And when you do that, what you get is a top 11 plus kind of other. And the top 11 is what it is. The top 11 is Murktide at 11.5%, Hammer Time at 8.6%, Creativity at 8.4%, Scam at 6.5%, and Oh, sorry. Footfalls at 6.5% yeah. and then scam at 6.1%. Yeah. Early in the morning. <laughs> so here it is. Top 5%. I mean, these are the decks that we've been talking about. This is the class of the meta. The only thing that was a little surprising to me was that Murktide over such a large sample is f basically 3% more than everything else. And it's the only deck that's above 10%. Stan, thoughts, Devin? There's even kind of that like gap between, you know, Murktide and the next two. So you have like 11.5 then the 8.6, 8.4 and then gap 6.5, 6.1. So I could you could even kind of split it up into like Murktide tier 1, Hammer Time Creativity 1.5, Footfall Scam like 1.75 or something like that. Right. Yeah, it's pretty clearly different between the two of them, but this, I think this matches everybody's Per, you know, personal experience. It matches every challenge we look at for the most part. Certainly Murktide's always there. Hammer time and footfalls and scam tend to go like up and down just a little bit, but I'm not surprised that this is the group that we're looking at that are the most popular, popular decks right now. Creativity is the one thing that was a little bit of a surprise to me to see it in third place here. When I feel like three or four months ago, creativity had kind of fallen off pretty heavily. And then now it's kind of come back with with a real kind of authority. And it, it's definitely in that top three. And you see it in the, those events much more than than a few months ago. I think with regard to creativity, it's also worth noting that like this is a post Yorian environment. And there was a while where creativity was shining, I think, in the Yorian metagame, where it, it was one of the most proactive matchups that like could outplay the Yorian Omnath piles. So if, if anything, like I think this is a like sh reflecting that slight metagame decline when creativity began to to struggle and and like when, when scam and murktide and, and hammer perhaps were like the strongest decks immediately after yorian's ban yeah i feel like this is showing the bounce back of creativity too as it's gotten back into popularity as well so it went down and then it's come back up and i think you'll see in a little bit uh, as far as the tiering data and win rate data that there's some interesting stuff there too all right in that section between 2.5 and 5 percent there's there's six decks really so realistically i think there's a top 11 in modern as far as prevalence goes and then everything else kind of goes from there so you have burn at 4.8 percent amulet titan at four percent yogmoth at 2.9 grinding breach at 2.8 living at 2.5 and then after that you're basically at two percent or below for everything else that's here this is the not too much of a surprise either. I feel like these decks are really familiar to people. There might be a couple of things that are missing here. You know, value breach isn't in the top 11, for example. Prowess isn't in the top 11, which seems to come and go a little bit. Domain Zoo is hanging on right on the edge of that top 11, but didn't really make it into it. So there's some decks that are a little bit missing from here. You know, Omnath control kind of stuff is not in this top 11 anywhere, even though I think it's shown good results lately. But this, this second tier is certainly decks that we've seen 
for a long time. Um, I guess the only two that are surprised, three things that are surprising me about this is that people won't stop playing burn <laughs> for one. We've talked about this many times, uh, amulet and yog, uh, being this small is a little bit of surprise, but also, you know, I do think we don't see them quite as much as we have in the last couple of years. Um, but that's the, the meta. I, I feel like this is no surprise to anybody. And this tier kind of feels to me like the one bad matchup tier. So if you go down the list, you have burn prop really, I think really bad against creativity or can be bad against, um, it's bad against Murktide. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have Amulet Titan bad against Murktide, Yogmoth bad against, uh, footfalls. And so you kind of have like that. These decks all have that one Achilles heel. And I don't feel like the the top tier kind of has that they have a, a much better matchup spread. So that that's kind of like what this tier feels like to me. Yeah. What do you guys see as the, difference between elementals and omnath control because i feel like those decks have more in common than not and is it just like having counter spells versus not having counter spells because a lot of the creature package remains the same so i think the omnath control deck is like blue i think that's more like blue white splash ren omnath I think mm-hmm. is what it is. And mm-hmm. then the elemental stack is like, you know, Kahira, I'm going to reveal Kahira, Endurance, Solitude, Fury, less counter spot. I think, I think that's the difference, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. And we, we don't have deck lists to go with these in front of me, but I'd assume that that's, that's correct too. I will say the reason I mentioned like Omnath control has had some really good mashups lately, but yeah, it's been interesting that people haven't picked it up. It's had good results, but we'll see. Okay. So one other thing that I thought was interesting is that, there's 24 more decks on this this list, basically. And I mentioned a few of them earlier. Between that 2.1% and 0.5% of the meta where uh, Anil stopped his sample. You know, the thing that's really interesting is that it's a lot of diversity still at this bottom end. It's a really long tail in Modern. I think a lot of these decks are pretty good. All of these decks, I believe, use Modern Horizon cards heavily in one way or another. And I think that this is more of that fodder to just go like, you know, you can't really have a deck in Modern these days without cards that are powerful from Modern Horizons being at least some part of it, one of the Modern Horizons sets. But I do think that it, there's still a lot of, you know, there's a lot of options. It's just like you got to put that play set of that one card from Modern Horizons in your deck to have it keep up with the power level of everything else in the format. It is what it is. Like at this point, it's not like we can make that go away unless you have your own special tournament because you're a magic, a magic content creator who has enough fans to do that, Devin. But... <laughs> So that that sounds like a fam- something familiar to me. It does. Hey, what won the most recent? <laughs> by the way, we had you on to talk about your pure mon- or your earlier like your mono modern tournaments. Yeah. What won this time? Do you remember? You're actually going to like this. It was the uh, Abzan Devoted Druid deck. Oh, that's right. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, it kind of makes sense because it's a deck that doesn't really use a ton. Of, like, it, I think most of the list play Saga, but you don't need it a hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, Tyvar was a huge upgrade to that deck. Yeah, especially in a world without the cheap interaction that Modern Horizons yeah. brings. The story of the win percentages is a little bit more strange to me when you look at it. There's nothing that's really crushing it in aggregate. This is kind of hard. For you guys to see, I know the percentages here, but I, I have a couple of notes here. So the two decks with the highest overall win rate when adjusting for the sample in this kind of like scatter scatter plot chart are creativity with fifty four point six percent and grinding breach with fifty three point nine percent win rate in isolation. Which I think, if if anything, probably like speaks to how 
that really the difference highlights the difference between creativity and breach and maybe especially highlights like why creativity is such a strong option right now because creativity is on the highly present end of the spectrum right um with a 8.3 percent presence compared to breach which is 2.8 so even though they're like within striking dif- distance of one another in terms of win rate creativity is both really popular and still winning a lot which probably just speaks to the fact that like it's good against hate or people aren't bringing in adequate hate to deal with it or just has a lot of good matchups we're going to talk about that in a second because the matchup grid is maybe the most interesting part of this whole thing i will say even if no decks are really crushing it like nobody's above the 55 percent there are decks that are getting crushed though if you look at some of the the other win rate data here and that includes of course old favorites tron burn jun mid mill and infect who are all in the low to mid 40s at best even though they're just popping up from they're they're around you know they're all in that kind of like you know burn is in the top 10 those other decks are just outside the top 10 it's like all these old decks getting crushed and they're just the ones that haven't benefited the most from um from modern horizons i think really like none of them really have benefited a ton from from those sets and it kind of is what it is yeah, like if you look at, you know, Burn, Tron, and Mill, do they even really play that many Horizons cards in any of... I don't really think they do. I don't so think it's, so. You know... <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, Jund obviously does because it's turned itself into a Saga Ragavan deck for the most part. Yeah. But it's um it's interesting that that mid-range strategy, of course, doesn't really work unless you're scamming people, essentially. Uh, and then finally, of the win rates in isolation, Murktide has the most Murktide bottom number when it comes to it 49 percent win rate murktide it's also has the most presence yeah by far so I, I yeah i wonder if this could also be an example of like as it gains more popularity its win rate goes down because it's just such a difficult duck to pilot yeah well let, that's a transition to my next note actually so this win rate data is wild because it is six months of matches we don't totally know exactly how all of the different data was configured in this study. Like, let's call it a study, right? But some of these matchups have, you know, 100 matches in them, 200 matchups in them. So I feel like the numbers that we have in this matchup grid, which you should check up on Twitter, like I said, look up, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes, of course, so you can check out the thread. But the biggest thing to me, like three things stood out to me about this win rate, win rate data that I thought was pretty interesting. Merktide is around 50% matchups against basically everything it's sub 50 versus hammer creativity footfalls elemental breach living and zoo merfolk and is sub 50 against other with 1600 matches stored it's around 49 percent against other um it's around 50 percent against scam yog and tron you know it it crushes burn and titan i'm sorry people who who like to write into us and say that burn is good against murktide i maybe maybe you're having personal success but you know in this sample Murktide has a 57.3% win rate against Burn with 260 matches, I think, 260 matches in that sample by itself. So, but here's the thing. Those are its two best matchups. Everything else is kind of subpar. I don't get why people are still playing this deck at 11%, 11% of the field. Do you all have thoughts about that? 
it's just like the Delver effect, right? People enjoy casting, you know, these, I, I don't want to use the T word because we love the T word on this show, right. but people enjoy casting, you know, cheap threats, counter spells, cantrips, stuff like that. That's just what people like to do. And, uh, you know, even though the deck, you know, it, it's almost like the same thing as Delver and Legacy. I don't think Delver has like this obscenely powerful win rate. It's just people like casting Brainstorm and Force Will and Wasteland in days, you know? It's like the same thing here, I think. There's clearly deck masters out there who do well. You know, there's there's uh, Twinless Twin who always do, does very well, and some of the other people on the energy circuit who are who kill it online. You know, with Murktide. So I don't know if there's just that huge of a skill gap in the deck. I mean, we do continue to see it appear in, in top eights fairly frequently, and yeah, I mean, I think it, it, this is the deck that like probably is among the more rewarding ones to master because the the interactions are so fun and like, you know, Bragavan getting out of control and like either stealing opponent's cars or just like getting you ahead on a man like crazy is always like just a fun way to make your opponents miserable. And I think even when you're losing, it always feels like it's close, right? Like I, I don't think there are too many because everything is like within a few percent of 50 plus or minus 50% with, with, with Merktide. I feel like even when you're losing, you're not hating it just because like, it always seems like it's within reach until someone pulls ahead. Yeah. So yeah, th that's to answer your question of like, why do people keep going back to Murktide? Because like, I think you're literally chasing the big blue dragon. Right. Constantly. <laughs> the big blue dragon. Cre <laughs> creativity is kind of the inverse, by the way. You know, it it has risen, risen up in prominence, but I think people aren't talking about it quite as much as you as you talk about Murktide and some of the other staple decks. But it has the best isolated matchup data against meta decks, it looks like. It's better, 50% or better, against nine of the other 13 top decks. Its bad matchups are unfavored, but they're only in the low 40s. They're not getting into a spot where they're in the high 30s, where they're really getting crushed by anything. It's kind of the inverse of Murktide right now. And I feel like, for me, you know, I've had like a love-hate relationship with creativity, but maybe maybe it's time to give it another try again, because I, I don't want to play I like Murktide, but I, I don't want to play it. Because I know I'm one of those bad Murktide pilots. Um, last thing that I thought was interesting was Scam has this weirdly polarized meta where if you look at it, it's sub 50% win rate against the other top tier of decks. So against Murktide, against Hammer, against Creativity, against Footfalls, it's, it's not doing very well against those decks. However, it crushes everything else. And hmm. so... Kind of weird and interesting. Well, it's also like okay, this is this is the the Rhino Boys podcast. Let's scam versus footfalls. Thirty four point six percent. I never Shocked. felt like it was that bad when I was like I, I thought the matchup was always fairly close when I was playing Rhinos. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I'm with you. Like I, I'm so shocked by some of this. The yeah. fact that scam beats up on on Merktide is is surprising to me. And like. God, like scam being able to like rush out a blood moon faster than rhinos like sometimes feels like so intense the fact that turn the turn one grief plays are like to me often feel like lights out for the rhinos player maybe maybe rhinos just benefits from post board games more than rakdos does because like you can just bring in endurance take out your force of negations yeah. and like you have a strategy but it's wild i i, I part of me also wonders if this is like the thing we talk about a lot where it's just like scam runs out of gas really quickly. Yeah. Like you have a really powerful turns one, two, and sometimes turn three, and then you sort of run out of cards and rhinos put like potentially if you fetch well early and you don't like 
get torn apart by grief like you can actually cobble together like a good mid to late game strategy and that's what helps you pull ahead yeah uh scam is actually according to this data rhino's second best matchup next to yogmoth and they're within three percent like three decimal points of each other one is 65.4 percent win the other one is 65.7 percent win i did want to put together a little bit of story about rhino since it's the rhinos podcast but i couldn't see a through line in this data honestly it's just rhinos has some really good matchups it has a lot of solid ones and it has very few really bad ones other than living end it looks like living end living is end. the flip yeah you yeah. don't want to see that deck yeah <laughs> it stinks jerry um here's one issue i have with the data too it does not distinguish from four between four color and three color rhinos and this era of magic encapsulates both decks like we saw a rise in four color and we've since seen a decline in people going back to teamer, I think to play more blood moons, especially, um, and Merktide, I suppose. And like, unless that ended up, unless four color rhinos ended up falling into the other category, potentially, like, I, I think maybe some of this is mixed. Because, mixed because the day you feel like the matchups between yeah. those two builds is very different. I think so. Yeah, like, I mean, the four-color version really struggles against Blood Moon in particular in a way that the teamer version can play against it a little bit more. And I think conversely, the the Leyline Binding kind of helps the Merktide matchup, whereas, I, like, I feel four-color is maybe a little bit better against Merktide and teamer is a little bit worse. So it's there's, mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot of give and tell or give and take with the four-color versus teamer stuff. And I've also seen a lot of the people playing main deck disputes now, too. So I wonder, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to see how, like, that would factor into the data, but... Yeah, as, as long as we're on this path, like the the footfalls versus hammer matchup, like footfalls is forty point eight percent against hammer. Like Devin, does that feel right to you and all your experience? No, not at all. Not at all, right? <laughs> not at all. So I don't know what's going on here, and and maybe like our point of view is skewed. Like maybe we figured out a way for us to play that matchup in a way that like bucks the trend, but. Or I'm we sure just all think that footfalls is broken. So <laughs> yeah. Every, everything's everything's seventy percent for us, regardless. Exactly. That's also true. <laughs> we love it. All right. Well, thanks for taking that little tour of modern with me. I thought it was an interesting data set to see, and uh, we're going to take a look at Pioneer, some of the decks Devin has been having success with. Coming up after a quick break. <laughs> David. Spring is here. Ring, ring, Stan. Ring, ring. Um, spring is here, and guess what that means? That means it's time for lots of new activity, scents, and other things from our friends at Barrister and Man. Exclusive mm -hmm. shaving and bathing provider to the dive down, I will say. That's right. I don't use any other shaving soaps or body products. At this point. I, I guess I, I use I use a different shampoo. They don't make they, shampoo yet, but I will I will use their shampoo as soon as they let me. Someday. We're going to get those prototypes soon, right, Will? All right, well, you know, like, I, so Will is always releasing new stuff. You can check out barristerandman.com slash blogs mm -hmm. uh, to see what's going on. But he has a great release schedule article that we're looking at right now. And May is here, and it's time to, like, maybe freshen up, get ready for spring. And a couple of things are happening. So May 16th, in the middle of the month, he's going to be releasing two new scents completely or not new but they're going to be available the samples are coming out of may 2nd so you can check those out if you want to it's called adagio and presto we talked about these last week and those mean 
walking pace and fast in music terminology generally. If you want to check them out, Adagio is lime, cherry, violet leaf absolute, lily of the valley, musk, and menthol. And then also Presto is nutmeg, lavender, bergamot, tangerine, cedar, violet, lily of the valley, carnation, patchouli, amber. It's got a lot here, mint, musk. They're going to be available in shaving soap, after splash, after shave balm, and more. Great for spring. But one thing that was interesting that you got excited about when we were looking at the blog stand, yeah. lather bowls. Lather bowls. So one of the things that I first learned when I was doing wet shaving is that you're using shaving soap, so you have to find a way to get it into like the foamy, white, creamy substance that you use to like make your whiskers softer so that they're ready to shave you know what i mean and shaving soap unless you're getting a sample which is literally a little bar of soap otherwise it comes in like this round plastic container and figuring out how to get like the hard soap substance from the plastic container into the creamy substance that you want to lather your face with there's a number of different ways to do it what's nice about barry man products is you don't technically need a bowl You can just like pour some water into the shaving soap container that the round container and take your, your brush and and start whisking it up. And like with enough moisture, it then produces the foam material and then you spread it on your face and, and, and then you shave face or elsewhere. Right. But in some cases, a lot of like the true heads will swear by using a bowl to produce your, your lather right um and i do find on the one hand bowls are really useful when we are using the samples like because the sample comes in a little thin disc that looks like a a thin bar of soap like it's hard to turn that sample soap into shaving lather unless you put it into another device um but you don't only want bowls if you're using the samples like one of the best ways I think to use a bowl and to like get really high quality, thick lather is to kind of go back and forth where you produce a bunch of lather in your brush, take it to a bowl, and then you keep whisking it so that it gradually gets thicker and less wet so that you end up with a product that like kind of sort of resembles like whipped cream or, or the type of lather that you might expect out of an aluminum can of shaving cream. Um, And the nice thing about lather bowls is they just like, they contribute to like the sophisticated grooming paraphernalia that goes into wet shaving. So like you have your safety razor or whatever straight razor you use, you have your brush, you have your shaving soap, and then it all comes together with this, with this bowl, which I think also in turn makes your container of shaving soap last a little longer as well, because Mm -hmm. you're, you're less likely to be pouring water in there that like kind of then you uh, are gradually like eroding the shaving soap bar and probably just getting like more lather and more shaves out of each product that you're getting. So, wow. You can use any bowl. I, like I was using a cereal bowl. Like I wasn't at, at that point, Bear Sherman was not selling their own ceramic bowls. Um, and like I was using the same bowl that I use for my Cheerios, but you don't want a Cheerio bowl in the bathroom. You want like something chic and elegant, right? That's right. And my goodness, I was not expecting a <laughs> four and a half minute pen. Uh, what do they say? Pay-in is the word. Is that the word? Like the love song, a four and a half minute freeform love song 
to let to bowls. But here we are. No notes. No That's notes. What, no notes. No notes. That Perfect. was off the, off the dome. That was off the dome. 10 out of 10 bowl love from Stan. Uh, and also... Check out Bear Certain Man for the new scents that they have come in Adagio Presto in June. They have sent a fragrance named Magard launching and another one called Lavender Interrupted that sounds very interesting as well. A lot of lavender this spring. Mm-hmm. And so lavender and violet, it sounds like, are the other the scents for spring. So go check them out, bearcertainman.com. Use code DIVEDOWN2023 to get 15% off your first purchase. We appreciate you. All right, we're back. Okay, so we're going to take a look at Pioneer in the post-mom era from a couple of different perspectives. You know, Stan has recently switched to playing a lot of Pioneer. I've been playing a good amount of Pioneer lately. Devin, of course, has a lot of Pioneer going on in his brain all the time and is getting ready today in, uh, you know, 56 minutes to go start the Pioneer Showcase and so I guess we just want to check in on everybody, see what people were thinking about the format. We have some spicy lists to look at that Stan and I both played, but I want to hand it to Stan for a second because he did manage to get in an F&M and a couple other things recently. Mm-hmm. That's true. I did. Um, I took, I finally finished building Azoria Spirits and paper. So I took it out to my inaugural F&M. Not great performance by Stan. I went one and two, losing to Phoenix, which is a really difficult matchup to begin with, and losing to Lotus Field, which I I did that to myself. I just did not mulligan aggressively and like kept opening hands that were lands and creatures. And I think you kind of have to mulligan to having like one to two counter spells, and then you can fight through it. But um. Yeah, Spirit's still fun, and I've noticed it continues to do well, even though it hasn't picked up any cards from Mother. Yeah, how was the store that you went to? Because I know that it was a new store and kind of a cooler, cool area of Manchester. Yeah. Well, it, it's not a new store. This is the store that I have been going to. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah, it's called Fanboy Three. Uh, I don't know about Fanboys One and Two, but <laughs> the third one in in Manchester's Northern Quarter is is nice. Um. It's funny, I walked in and I, I I know a couple people who play there now and uh, I was introduced to someone who was drinking a beer from the Mars Brewery, which is a Chicago brewery. Really? And yeah, and I guess like he's in some beer club that mails out new beers every month. And the only reason I noticed is because it had the iconic Chicago skyline on the label. And I saw that and I was like, hey, that's Chicago. And they're like, how do you know? And I'm like... It's the skyline. And I named some of the buildings. So that was fun. And it was like, which one was Al Capone buried in? That's what everybody who's not from America <laughs> thinks about Chicago. They just think about Al Capone for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Also, people seem to think it's on the West Coast, which is kind of funny. But then it also makes me realize, like, I don't know anything about European geography. Exactly. I have a lot of colleagues in Germany that will tell me, like, yeah, I'm from Munich. And I'm like, I, I don't know where Munich is. Or what yeah. that means. Or what, like, the cultural connotation <laughs> of being from Munich is. It's like, yeah, that's a city right. I've heard of. Spirit's still good, even though I don't think it's gotten any upgrades. Still, still my favorite fun tempo deck. I have been playing um, the Rogues deck with... Uh, the fairy mastermind. So I want to talk to you about that because the thing, my, my takeaway is this, like it, it's a very different version of rogues than what I was used to previously. Cause it's not playing like into the story. It's not benefiting as much from opponents having big graveyards 
apart from just drowning the lock and maybe like eventually you know some of your rogues getting slightly bigger um but the reason why i thought the deck is still pretty good is because of a card that's not a rogue and that's just shieldred like it's just a great shieldred package where you can play like some early good early threats and some cheap interaction and then eventually you can turn the corner with shieldred which is basically murktide regent and (laughs) a lot of decks just like just can't get past her yeah unfortunately the list that i played last week when i was testing this out did not have shieldred in it as a top end and as soon as shane and i were talking around the show i was like oh yeah that would that would certainly give the deck some power because i really felt like it petered out as far as threats go um Mm -hmm. are you gonna play it a little honorary rogue yeah i guess right i mean it's weird (laughs) that the one from march of the machine has the rogue clause on it like it can't transform unless unless an opponent has eight cards in their graveyard, which is like okay. So we are getting a payoff from rogues, but I, I you know I've seen some people talking about that being a good fit for the deck. I, I think that the regular shielder is just better. Like I, I don't. I mean the other one, the newer one is like too complicated. Also, why are there so many shielders? Can we can we not with this? I, I would like to say that I, I I think I remember seeing in the notes that you were or I was in the notes or in the Discord, but you were saying that you didn't like the rogue deck, or maybe it was the episode last week. Um, I would like to mention that I've played against this deck ten times on stream, and I'm zero and ten against it. Really? So I don't know how anybody ever loses with rogues. I can't beat it with anything. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, deck's great. Deck's cracked. Maybe it's deck's my problem. Like track. usual, I'm like I'm like yeah, this deck. I don't know. And then people are like, um, I'm a, I'm eleven and and zero. I'm one thousand and zero. With with this deck right now how could you how could you go two and three in a league with it yeah and and then just in terms of like playing with fairy mastermind i think it's only good because it's another flying flash rogue like agree it's, yeah it's templating is what makes that a good card the the added ability of drawing extra cards when people when your opponent draws a second card is like it doesn't come up super often and it, if it does it's only because like on their maybe on their end step you pay the four mana so that you draw two, they draw one, which is, which I think is scary, but you're still getting card advantage in that exchange. So maybe that's like just something you have to take your medicine and hope that they're, that your two draws are better than their one. Yeah. Yeah. Most people don't really want to play into it. I've, I've don't think I've seen a lot of my opponents activate that effect, but honestly, it feels like much more of an aggressive deck where it's like just playing a two drop, you know, aggressively milling to get to the Lord and the, you know, the Thieves Guild Enforcer. It feels like much more of a beatdown deck than it was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Kaito helps with that too. Like this is my first time playing with Kaito Shizuki and the, um, like draw a card, uh, if you attacked with a creature this turn or like loot if you haven't attacked. I, you never loot like you can you just are always attacking because you have like so many flyers now between the fairy mastermind and the soaring sky thief and even like a lot of decks are playing one to three nighthawk scavengers as well so, yeah all right deck, well deck is cool and fun contradicting my rev- my my review of rogues but that's okay we're all about bringing everybody's viewpoints <laughs> forward here all right, so the last deck that I played was really in anticipation of this episode, and it's one of the ones that Devin has provided for us graciously. And it's kind of like a sequel to what we talked about last week, where I played Gruel Elves featuring, featuring Ancient Imperosaur. So last week I played Imperosaur in a deck full of goblins. Today I played Imperosaur in a deck full of elves, um, which was fun and nice because I have tons of experience with with Golgari Elves, which I know, Devin, you've been picking up Xbox Greg's list a little bit as well over the last few weeks. So it'll be nice to compare our experiences with those 
two similar but different strategies because I, I had some feelings. Yeah, I even um, so the, the, this one that we're going to talk about is is green red. I, I also tried to ver- I've tried so many versions of uh, decks with the ancient Imperius or I tried a version that was like green black and basically just used Imperius or as like your like the normal elves deck, but Imperius or was your core uh, convoke spell instead of quarter calling. Mm-hmm. Um, but this deck in particular, it's like yeah, so. This is essentially an aspiring spike deck. That's where I don't know if you guys watched this, but he decided to get into the pioneer cues for a little bit um, because he had like a really good idea. And I didn't. The only thing that I changed from his deck list was I cut uh, elvish visionary for torch courier, or excuse me, for uh, elvish visionary for jasper ascendal because I wanted an additional one drop to like, kind of like convoke out the dinosaur. Yeah. But the idea here is you're maxing out on one drops. You have torch courier as a one mana one one. Uh, for that basically can sacrifice itself to give a creature haste. And then you kind of have like an elves package here to put into elite war master to give you tokens, which help you convoke out your giant fat dinosaur, ancient Imperiosaur, and then you sacrifice the courier to give it haste. Uh, and then fierce empath is kind of cool too, because it's an elf, which, you know, pumps up your pump, gets pumped by visionary and triggers off of the elvish war master, but it also just more copies of Imperiosaur. So you effectively have 12 copies of that thing in this deck. And uh, deck was pretty good. I was a big fan of it. Yeah, and what I was really surprised while playing with it is that it actually still plays out a lot like Golgari Elves because your package is like is so similar, and it, to me it just seemed like Imperiosaur is just the is just Shaman of the pack, and Fierce Empath is Corda Calling. You know what I mean? And it's like yeah. otherwise everything is the same. Torch Courier is the one like wild card, and that's just like filling up the Elvish Visionary or Lanor Visionary two of slots right but also playing imperial star with haste is a powerful drug like my goodness (laughs) yes sure oh yeah it's fantastic actually i I pulled it off as well and i couldn't believe my opponent let me do it and (laughs) like it was another example i mentioned this last week too where it's like imperial star doesn't have to be a 2020 to just win on the spot especially if it has haste and like sometimes you just make it like a 14 or 16 trampler with ward and then you give it haste and it's like you've managed to get enough chip damage maybe early on with, with some other elves. And then, and then uh, the dinosaur is essentially just like your big payoff at the end. Yeah. Or shock lands or thought seizes like people, all kinds of things happen still, even in this format. So, and there are some spots where you just have a couple of like, I, I know it sounds weird because you need seven creatures to cast the Imperiosaur, but there's sometimes where you just have like 10 or 11 creatures in play and you tap seven of them, sack the Torch Courier, and you still have other stuff to attack. So even if they have a blocker, they're just going to die to the other creatures attacking anyways. Yeah. So when when it occurred to me that like the dinosaur is filling in the Shaman of the Pack slot for discussion purposes, like it got me thinking like what is the reason for playing this over Golgari when in order to get the Imperiosaur out like cheaply, you still need a big board and like it benefits from having a big board the way Shaman of the Pack benefits from having a big board. Um, And when you're sacrificing collected company for empath, which is like, like empath only has one target here. And although it's nice to cord for empath in some cases and to like have Imperiosaur up, you know, on on your first main phase, um, I, I wasn't necessarily necessarily sure that this was like solving specific problems in the main. And if anything, it maybe just changes your post board games because like now you can play Rending Volley. Rending Volley was the red post board deck 
we had in our list, but like you could play other red spells now too. Like you could run fries if you're worried about the control matchup or whatever. So yeah, the the way that I look at it is I kind of think I kind of view this as more of a combo deck where you're trying to set up like so you have Torch Courier and then you have Court of Calling, so that's eight copies of Torch Courier, right? And then mm-hmm. you have Empath, Imperious, or Court of Calling, which are now twelve copies of Imperious or. So essentially the way that I look at it is twelve copies of A and or yeah, twelve copies of A and then eight copies of B. And all you're trying to do is just assemble A plus B. The Elves plan is more of like it's not the the Elves plan is think of it like as plan like B minus or C plus kind of thing where it's only facilitating your plan A because it's making a lot of tokens off of Elite and Warmaster. One thing that I was considering is maybe trying to make this like a Jun deck and just play Torch Courier and then also play Shaman of the Pack to kind of combine the synergies. Um, I haven't really fleshed out a list yet, but I think that could be a good idea too. And it's playing Shaman instead of Fierce. Yeah, you would. I think you would go down to like one fierce empath at that point because you would still want to yeah. be able to cord for it. But yeah. you can make the deck like a lot more toolboxy in that regard. You you probably actually only need one shaman in that case, right? And like you can play more fierces to have fought, or maybe two and two, like a couple of fierces to get extra copies of Imperiosaur, and then a couple shamans. So like sometimes you draw one, but really like the best shaman plays are the ones where you're cording for it. Or like you play shaman right. and then court for the second one. When you talk about when you talk about the synergy between court of calling and imperiosaur, what you're talking about doing is using cord to go get fierce empath so that you can get imperiosaur at that someone's end step or something like that. Before we get right. letters or tweets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could get you could cord for ten, right? Or cord for seven, I guess. You're only going to get a six six, but hey, it has trample and ward too. Come on. Stan, did you like this deck? Would you keep playing this elves kind of build? I you have been playing a lot of Imperiosaur lately. Does it does yeah. it make you like this card more than last week? Less or I think I'm neutral. Uh and I think I'd rather play it in goblins. Cause what I liked about that version was that like you could A, you had more tools to give it haste. Like you had eight bushwhackers. Or maybe it was seven bushwhackers, but you had bushwhackers, right? Um, which I thought was really nice. Though you had fewer ways to like get the green pips in its convoke cost, so I think that's that's one of the trade offs. But yeah, like I, the the part that I haven't fully cracked is like, what, what is this doing for elves in Pioneer, which was all already like kind of good, like. So, so Devin, you, you mentioned like to to you this is more of a combo deck, but like isn't elves already kind of a combo deck that has a a beatdown plan and a combo plan? Kind of, but I think this is more. Uh, I think this is a response to Pioneer becoming a faster format. I think this deck has faster mm-hmm. goldfishes. You're, I think you're a little bit more consistently killing on turn four, and you know like. There is a randomness to collected company, right? Sometimes you cast collect. I mean, I, I posted a tweet the other day. There were six lands in the top six cards in my library. Yeah. That's going to happen sometimes. So that. there's a lot more randomness. And I th- I feel like this deck is a little bit more consistent at getting those turn four kills. And as Pioneer becomes a faster format, I think that's a good place to be. Yeah. Does it change your uh, keep mold decisions at all? Like, I'm still mm. keeping... I found myself, like, I'm still just keeping hands that are, like let couple one drops war master and three lands and i was like yeah i mean this this is going to be the foundation and then i have to just sort of figure it out from here 
Sometimes I'll like mulligan a seven that doesn't have one of the combo pieces. Like if I don't have an empath or a uh, or access to, well, I guess yeah, you don't really want to like mold a torch courier, but you do kind of want to have at least one dino in your opening hand. But this deck also doesn't mulligan the best because it yeah. does need a lot of stuff in play to actually cast its convoke cards. So it's it is a little bit tough in that regard. So over overall, I I, I think it's good. And I mean, clearly you think that. Devin, you think that this this deck is reasonable good, or at least Ancient Imperiosaur is important right now, because the next deck that we have to talk about is the deck that you're going to play today, and it's another Imperiosaur deck. <laughs> Ancient Imperiosaur is kind of messed up. I, I agree. The more I play with that card, I'm just like, whoop boy. After that card, that's that card is a lot. After this week, I I was very surprised. I guess I would say that it just feels like a a lot of people are playing it online to try to figure out how to use it and it's just like the giantest burst kill available in pioneer right now and i'm surprised i'm surprised by that like stan when you talked about this card on the spoilers i was like this is cool maybe this is a payoff for elves or this is something interesting like that but this is just like a big area to explore i think for people both in pioneer and modern and I think there's just a lot of different ways to approach building it. Like you just saw the last list that's kind of more all in with the torch couriers. I mean, this deck list that we're about to look at is basically just gruel boats with cutting Sky Sovereign for Ancient Imperiosaur and almost nothing else is different. And I think that's just a decent approach. Like you don't have to go super all in on the card. As, as we talked about, even if you're only tapping three or four creatures for it, you're still getting a 12-12 or a 14-14 that's likely still going to kill your opponent in one shot. So like Devin said, this is basically gruel boats. And what's that made up of, right? So it's your eight elves, your tapping elves. It's Bone Crusher Giant, Love Struck Beast, Reckless Stormseeker, which is what a card. What a card Reckless Stormseeker is. I just, oh I, I played God. this deck last it. night too. I hope I didn't blow any surprises. I only played it in tournament practice last night. So I, I didn't want your list to get out of the, you know, before the showcase. That's nah, fine. It's got a couple of the utility esque cards. It's got Scavenging Ears, Werewolf Pack Leader, and uh, I think those are all the cards that are in it. The, Two Braids, two Lightning Strike, Essex Chariot, again, what a card, and the uh, Crow in War. I have never played Gruel Boats before. Like, I'd never gotten around to it. I'd just kind of seen it happen. And I am very much not a, um, I'm not like a Gruel player. I am not turn one elf player generally. Like, I'm more turn one uh, Lightning Bolt player. So, you know, I'm Blue Red Spells guy generally. <laughs> You want to kill my elf. Exactly. <laughs> I have to say, though, and I, I'm excited to hear you talk about this deck some more, but I have to say, I, this deck, I only played it for like five or six, seven matches last night. This deck may have changed me, though, especially mm. when it comes to Pioneer, because this was so much fun. Honestly, I was like, wow, this is these are powerful cards, and then sometimes you just kill somebody with a hasty 2020. Yeah, when you look at your opening hand and you have, you know, the like turn one elf, turn two storm secret, turn three chariot, that's the dream curve. If if your if your opponent doesn't interact with your elf on turn one and you just get to go turn two storm secret, turn three chariot, like there's not really many decks in the format that could beat that draw. Um that even like the best even that that hand sometimes even beats the best model green draws. Um so you have like that out, you just have a ton of just raw power, like um you know, the but the Bone Crusher Giant Love Struck Beast, those cards are really good against Rakdos because they just provide two straight up two for ones. So you have like a good amount of card advantage. You have creature lands. It's just this deck just kind of has everything. And then you have the fast kill with Imperiosaur now. 
Yeah. So have you been doing well with this deck so far, or are you just coming back to it because you know that you like the boat's shell and you're like, that's why I'm playing it today because I've tried some other things. I wasn't sure what was going on on your stream this week, for example. This week I tried a little bit of Is It Pyro, which we'll maybe get to after this, and I had some moderate success with that, but... Um, I top aided the challenge last week with not this exact deck list, but I think there, I think I only changed like three or four cards and it felt very good. Um, and I just kind of wanted to go, I just wanted to be a little bit more aggressive. Do you, do you think, do you really think the pioneers are becoming a faster format? I did want to come back to that in a minute because you mentioned that a minute ago. And then, so what kind of things do you feel like is making that happen right now? I think the resurgence of mono green Mm. is because of Pelucranos. So the resurgence of Monogreen has kind of like made people adjust to be able to keep up with the pacing of Monogreen because that deck can produce 12, 15 mana on turn three or turn four. So you really have to be like a lot more proactive if green starts showing up again. We had a period of Pioneer where before Mom came out, green had kind of fallen off a little bit and there was a lot more Rakdos, a lot more Blue-White, a lot more of these interactive decks. And once green starts showing up again, green usually beats up on those decks. So you have to be like you, the, the terms of engagement change when green is a popular, uh, you know, a, a pillar of the format. And that's kind of where I think most of it is stemming from. I want, I want to jump back into this gruel, gruel dino deck. So uh, looking at the deck list, like it looks very similar to gruel boats with like, essentially you're just swapping the sky boat for main deck Imperosaur. Mm-hmm. Like, otherwise, like, the texture and the game plan seems to be pretty similar. And uh, thinking back on, like, the the rise of Gruel Boats, it was a response to the popularity of Rakdos, right? Like, just because um, Sky Sovereign was, like, practically unwinnable for the Rakdos matchup, like, unless they were able to thought-seize them all out of your hand. Does that matchup change at all when you, like, change your payoffs here? Or is Essica's Chariot still able to kind of, like, help carry you along the way um, against mid-range strategies in general. So Imperiosaur is, you know, significantly worse against Rakdos and Sky Sovereign. I will agree with that. But the rest of your deck is so good against them. You have the four chariots. You have the adventure spells to get two for ones. You have a pile of creature lands. You have a Crowan War to steal Shieldred. So you just have... I think you still have enough tools, even without playing the Sky Sovereigns. Uh, I did beat Rakdos three times in the challenge last weekend. And, you know, it, it still feels like a good enough matchup. Like, with Sky Sovereign, you're basically, you know, 80-20 against them. Without mm-hmm. Sky Sovereign, maybe you're closer to, like, 65-35 or 70-30. I think the matchup is still good, but not, not quite as good. I did want to talk about the Urquhorn War for a minute, because this is a card that I have zero, like, exposure to playing until I played this decklist last night. So it is mostly... Just, busted. Yeah, it's busted. It's a good card, but is it is it... <laughs> Most it's mostly about taking Shieldred. Is that I mean it has general utility, but is it is it really in there to prop up that against that particular card, or what do you think? So the biggest reason to play a Crow in War is the rise of Monogreen. Okay, uh, you can imagine a curve where you go turn to uh, Reckless Storm Seeker attack for three. They play uh, Pelucranos, and you go a Crow in War steal your Pelucranos hasted attack you for seven. Right. They're dead. Like the game's just over right, right there. So it's mostly actually more for Monogreen than it is for Shieldred, but it happens to have some added utility. And also the sick thing about a Crowan War is when you have a Seeker's Chariot, you can go, you can respond to the third chapter on a Crowan War by using their creature to crew with the third chapter on the stack and then resolve the third chapter. So in the case of Shieldred, because it has Death Touch, you crew with the Shieldred and then the Shieldred is now tapped for the third chapter of a Crowan War deals four damage to itself and because it has death touch it, it dies. dies yeah 
I got to tell you, I figured that one out myself <laughs> last night. I was like, I was like, this third chapter, I can do this. And I was like, Essica's Chariot. Like it wasn't, it wasn't Shieldred. It was a different card that I was like, if I, t- I need to tap this to get it out of the way when I give it back to them so I can still attack profitably because it was like something that had big toughness. And uh, yeah, I was proud of myself, Devin. I was like, okay, I can do this. Nice. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this chapter's on the stack for a reason. Right. Yep. <laughs> I guess the the other thing I wanted to ask a little bit about, because I do think this is kind of like the deepest we'll go into a deck today, is uh, so help me understand Mutavault a little bit. So Mutavault, I know it's a good aggressive card. It doesn't have any synergies here. We're not playing four of them. We're just playing two of them. Is this a little bit of like a sneaky way to get an extra creature in for Convoke for for Imperiosaur, or is it just a good card and you have space for a couple of them? I was I was wondering if I was missing something there. No, mostly just a good card. Uh, it does come up sometimes with Imperiosaur, but honestly, the thing about Mutavault, so the uh, the other boats list, like before we added Imperiosaur to the deck, were actually, I think I was on like four Mutavault mm-hmm. for a while. And the biggest thing that it does is specifically with Stormseeker, like you don't even have to have the Mutavault in play. You can just go, you know, play it for turn, activate it, target it with Stormseeker. So it just allows you to give you like these more burst damages it's really good against blue white because it you know gets to dodge sweepers you get to have something left over and that matchup is kind of tough um but yeah there's there's really no synergies outside of maybe i don't think i've i don't think it's ever 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 actually come up with ancient imperiosaur for me but mostly this just there is you know an aggressive card that gives you some uh, insurance against sweepers got it okay cool and we cut the two, by the way, because I added Pack Leader. It's hard to play four when you have the, the double, double green two drop. Yeah, Pack Leader is a cool card. That's another card in this list that, like I said, I haven't I haven't played until this time. It was interesting to see how much people respect that card. I had a lot of people who pulled it out of my hands with Thoughtseize or killed it as soon mm. as, as it hit the board. And I was like, you really should have taken Reckless Stormseeker. I don't know what. Maybe that's just because <laughs> I was in tournament practice, but like... It people are scared of that card because they don't want you to draw cards. Basically, it feels like, which was pretty interesting. Yeah, and like turn two pack leader, turn three stormseeker haste attack for six draw a card. Like that curve is so yeah. sick too. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like it gives you more outs to the flip side where it's like, okay, I didn't get Essica's chariot, but I did get stormseeker, and my two drop is just as good now in some ways. I wish they would just let me play with eight stormseekers. I think I would play. I'd play at least eight. <laughs> I. Card is, card is amazing. Never flipped it once. Yeah. Who cares? Who yeah, you cares? Don't yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I, I think that, you know, we could go on and look at some other decks. I thought this deck was really cool. I might be a Gruel Boats person in Pioneer now. We'll see. Or Gruel, whatever we want to call this, you know, Gruel base in Pioneer for a little bit and see how that goes. We converted him. Yeah. Because it definitely went better than Is It Pyro, I will say. And so I'd love to hear you talk about that list a little bit, Devin. Stan, I don't know if you've looked at or played with these new Pyro lists. Uh, Part of the reason that I I played this deck as well, part of the reason that I wanted to try this deck is just because it had one of my spoiler, one of the cards that I felt like I brought to the spoiler table when we were talking, which was Meeting, Meeting of Minds, which I think is just probably a good card and i felt like for what it's worth before we get really deep into this deck right now and in this meta i do feel like this deck sort of confirmed that meeting of minds is a card that is worth playing and it is a card that's worth having in your toolbox it is not super like super duper powerful or something like that it's like like it's no treasure cruise but i think it is a card that can be the glue for a, a deck kind of like this um but Devin, you said you played this this week a lot how did, how did you feel about uh pyro is it worked for you so I kind of had some up and down. So I had like a, I posted a five zero on Monday. That's where I really started doing it, doing or 
really started playing it. Uh, so I did well on Monday, ended up playing it again. I actually went to FNM on Friday, went a 4-0 there, and then decided to play it in the challenge yesterday, and then O3 dropped. So mm. had a little bit of mixed results, but overall, I've been very, very, you know, happy with the deck list overall. The one thing, you know, it, it looks like a really small change to go from of one mind to meeting of mind. But the really important thing is the fact that it's an instant. Yeah. And because of that, I actually think I want to change up the removal spells. I have two roast in here, but I think those should just be more instants to help you just kind of hold up meaning of minds. It lets you kind of play like that controlling type game, which, you know, this deck didn't necessarily have access to before. But yeah, I've, I've been I've been really impressed with that. Meeting of minds being a, a free cantrip has also been kind of sick. Yeah, I also wonder why we don't have any Stoke the Flames in here. Like if if we're ha- if we're playing so many convoke cards, while also like making so many tokens, like stoke the flame just sort of seems like a shoe in here. I have wanted stoke the flames to be good for so long in Pioneer for twenty years. For long, I mean, it was so good in Standard. It was a card that was really fun. It doesn't kill Shieldred is the main reason that I was kind of like I like that's part of the, and it doesn't kill like cavalier of thorns and like so it's it's in this weird space where it's like how many x4s do you want to kill with it but it does dome and so i do think it's an interesting question i played against a list last night that stoked the flame me at one point and i was like is this gonna is this gonna happen in pioneer finally is it happening you do make a lot of tokens in this deck you, you do you really do like i mean it's not it's not like some of these earlier versions or some of the decks that were running pyromancers like plan b in old kind of you know pioneer six months ago you make a lot of when, when it's working it's working yeah the list i actually started with before i 5 would was actually a list that had invasion of segovia and stoke the flames as like mm-hmm. a natural pairing because segovia has four toughness you can play it you get two tokens you can use those tokens to crew the stoke or uh, convoke the stoke the flames target the segovia flip it untap you can do some like really cool stuff there um but i was really unimpressed with segovia every time i cast it stoke the flames was like okay but dave brought up a good point doesn't kill shield or doesn't kill polycronos the biggest reason honestly and this is, you know, just kind of a common theme in Pioneer at this point is you lose Gigantha. So ah. that's honestly the biggest reason to not play Stoke the Flames. Gigantha's broken. Just just every deck that can play Gigantha, it's it's like I I know it sounds like a really weird statement to say, but free cards are good. Just good. Hmm. Stan is looking skeptical. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just always I always forget to factor in the Gigantha mana. Yeah. Although I didn't play this deck today, I actually played a similar version of this deck in the March of the Machine um, Arena Access event. I got invited by the kind folks at Wizards of the Coast, and I I got to play basically this in Explorer, Um, which, like, I was playing Stoke the Flame and and Meeting of the Minds. and Ledger Shredder too. Like, I, so I love that you have Ledger Shredder. That just seems like sort of the understated one of the most important cards to like play in any of these like eight pyro spells decks. Just because you end up like with so much air. Like, I, I love Shredder not as a beater as much as a way to just like filter out extra dens or um, spiral of canals or just like getting to the spells because you need to have spells to cast and. It's interesting, like, this versus something like Murktide, even, where, like, in, in Murktide, um, you're drawing so many cards that you can sometimes bin spells that aren't good in a matchup, like counter spells or whatnot. But here, all of your instant sorceries are, tend to be so proactive that Ledger Shredder is sort of, like, the glue that I think 
secretly makes decks like these work while also like putting dumb cards into the bin for treasure crews. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of crews too, shredder is also really good in the post board games when your opponent has a lot of graveyard hate, cause you can just get rid of those cruises. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I, I, I realized that we're playing this deck is I probably should have some braids in my sideboard to be able to kill Hearst Cause I, I couldn't beat that card when my opponent had it on turn two. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so that's probably something I would look to do moving forward. But yeah, deck was deck was great. I loved it a lot. I, I had rough matchups, I think. I did league with this deck, and I went like 1-4, which you know happens because mm. I'm not very good. But it is what it is. And I, I had this kind of thing happen where, number one, Devin, I lost a bump in the night. Have you played against this like oh, blood token God. deck? Have you seen this? I've deck? seen it. I've seen it floating around. It's like what the uh, the sanguine, not sanguine's blood. It's like sovereign's bite, yes. two mana lava spike. You gain three or whatever, and they take and they yeah, make no, two I've... blood tokens. Then they shrapnel blast yeah. you. Um, I have seen that. I, that was kind of the last. That was the last round. It was the last draw, and I was like, mm. never pyro pyroing in pioneer again. Give me some elves. Um, once you lose the, once you get in the bump of the night bracket, then you know you're uh, in a rough this spot. Is, this is my concern, Devin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm confused. Bump of the night's not Pioneer League. So it's it's not, but it, it's basically like a burn deck. It's a red black burn deck that uses these really kind of. It's madness based too, so it uses these weird cards. Maybe they'll become like a mainstream deck, but it's it's kind of you know how bump of the night and burn is just like it does nothing other than three damage to your opponent, and you can recast it. This is a card that's kind of like. It costs a colorless and a black. It does two damage to your opponent. You gain two life and you make two blood tokens. And so it's just this like, yes, that's what it's called. It's just this like nothing Uh card where I was like, I was like, I can't believe somebody is beating me with this. And then there's another one that's madness enabled. That's like a four CMC card from uh, Shadows over Innistrad that costs one black when you madness it. And it's a, it is literal bump in the night. It's like three damage to you and you gain three life, three damage to your opponent. You Alms get your... the vein. Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So someone playing. I don't that, know why I know all yeah. these cards. But... <laughs> it's like black direct damage stuff. Where I was, it was very tilting. I will say, but I, mm. I did have one concern that I had about this deck in general is like this deck does not interact with large threats very well. Like Ancient Imperiosaur was like I had zero outs against a resolved Ancient Imperiosaur which maybe a lot of decks don't have any outs against that. I, but on the, and then on the flip side, I had a hard time against like blue white control, which is kind of weird because they, their wraths, you know, this deck was sort of like not fast enough for me to be able mm-hmm. to commit to the board a lot without getting really punished by um, Supreme verdict basically. And so it, it was kind of like tough navigating for me to figure out like, okay, where are we going to go? Like, how am I going to, it just felt like maybe I got drew like the bad matchups uh, generally. So what decks do you think this deck is well positioned against in Pioneer right now. If you say blue white control, I'm going to be really sad. <laughs> no, I, I think the blue white I think the blue white the blue white matchup is really close. It's all about like threat pacing yeah. as you know t- traditional blue red versus you know sweeper decks. You really you want to be like commit one threat at a time, have some cantrips. You do a lot of dead cards against them too, so it, it's probably I would say a close matchup overall. Um, I think this deck is meant to beat up on the more fair deck, so I think it like in theory, should have an okay matchup against Rakdos. You have enough ways to get rid of Shield Rip between Roast and the Counter Spells. You have four Treasure Crews. Your threats all produce extra bodies, so you're all, like, kind of two-for-one-ing in, in all these spots. So I think that should be an okay matchup. Uh, this deck crushes, you know, like, the aggressive decks. Crushes Mono White. I think it's pretty good against Gruel Boats. 
Um, the problem with this deck is it's bad against the other unfair decks, and that's what I played in the challenge yesterday, which is when I went 0-3, I lost to Lotus Field, Monogreen, Monogreen, and I think those are all tough matchups, which could maybe be helped out by changing the sideboard configure the sideboard counter configuration around, change the equation, not countering Karn, kind of rough, so you could maybe tweak some numbers to make your fast matchups a little bit better, but yeah, this is like kind of the, not the king, but the, the, like, sort of the anti-fair deck uh, tech or something mm-hmm. like that, I guess is what to put yeah. it. Yeah. Is that Phoenix too? Like would Phoenix fill something that like role? That. Yeah. It's basically think, think of it like Phoenix, but it inst- it's a little less reliant on the graveyard because you have shredder, you have the eight pyromancer. So you're a little bit better against graveyard hate, but it's trying to, accom- uh, it's trying to occupy the same spot as Phoenix in the metagame. Yeah. Really quick. Chrome host seed shark. You have a couple in your sideboard. Mm. Worth it? Yep. We call that for the grindy matchups. Uh, well, I finally cast it for the first time the other day against uh, my control opponent, and then I immediately followed up with a treasure cruise and made it an eight, you know, an, an eight, eight. incubate eight or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that was that felt pretty good. Uh, mm. I haven't cast it that often, but it does feel like it's a, a, a fairly powerful card in those kind of grindy matchups. It's like, it's kind of like another Pyromancer, but it offers a little bit more flexibility in terms of giving you, you know, if you can slam it with the treasure cruise, it gives you this massive threat. So I, I think I like it as a, a one or two of. Mm-hmm. I did come away from playing this, having a little bit more respect for Make Disappear, which is just a, mm. a good card. I, I think it's a good card yeah. in this deck. It's not too bad without the casualty and then it's just absurd with it you know where you're kind of like two for four for four mana leak is interesting i also like to change the equation all right but i can definitely see that that's like hey this is matchup very matchup based very meta based you can switch around but i was surprised again given our discussion on the spoiler episode and but we've checked in on this card a couple times i do think that card is like fine part of pioneer's counter suite like it's just a card that's reasonable to have around it, it has enough utility um yeah and I loved Outpost Siege as well, which is just a callback to, you know, limited format. I love, and, uh, but it's a, it's a good card. It's a good way to, like, draw some extra cards, have a top end if you need, you know, as Devin said, for the grindy matchups, you need the extra, extra cards. Yeah, and a lot of people in my chat ask about Outpost Siege, like, why not, you know, some other card draw spell? The reason is you make a lot of tokens, and sometimes you just name dragons or whatever the second mode on that card is, and you put yourself in a spot where you're like, your opponent's at 10 and you have 10 tokens. Right. I'll name dragons, attack you with my 10 tokens. You're just, yeah. no matter what you do, you're yep. dead. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. Outpost Siege. All right, so we, we I you know, I think is it Pyro? I'll, I know I'll go back to Blue red even though this was not a great run with it uh but i do think that the deck is real balmore was pretty cool to see in here too i have to say i did kill somebody on like turn four with balmore and a a few tokens and they had and like uh fiery impulsing their board you know and just being like okay that 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 card by the way it's just the perfect one of you never want the second copy but it's the perfect one yeah yeah all right, so we have two card two decks left that we could talk about i think with the last couple minutes before devin has to go on the challenge um Want to talk about Rakdos Galta because I saw you talking about that on Twitter yesterday, actually mm. as well. What's what's going on with that deck right now? So this is sort of what we th- had, you know, thought might happen, which is it's using Soren to treat in Galta and Mavrin, but this isn't just really completely a vampire's deck. It's got some other stuff going on as well, right? 
Yeah, so think of this as, as like kind of Rakdos mid-range with a combo finish. So you have your Fables, Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, and Bloodside Harvester, which happens to be a vampire, by the mm -hmm. way, for Soren. Uh, just happens to be the best the best vampire. So you have like that kind of mid-range-ish package. And then you also have this other impl other like uh, aspect to it where you have Voldaren Epicure and Harvester, which discard cards. So you can actually discard Galta and then get to Olivia, which is a way to get back Galta. So it actually gives you more ways to kind of um, to kind of get those like fast kills. Like Olivia hasting a Galta on turn three is a lot better than turn three put Galta into place. Say go right because you actually get the attack immediately um but at the end of the day it's just trying to put galt into play as quickly as possible one thing i will mention about this deck is i actually kind of didn't like the champion of dusks mm -hmm. and i kind of want to just be more all in on like four livia four galta and then also bitter reunion to discard the galta to just set up the reanimation kill um i think that might be a better approach to it but i like i like this deck it's just a it gets to play a good fair game and just has like this really sick end game it felt pretty it was a lot of fun to play. i think it's it's interesting a lot of the decks that we've talked about today and, and recently is like good fair game. like the the boats deck is the same way good fair game and then this like broken combo on top of it like it's pretty interesting that we've gotten some tools for that i mean i guess um, you know mom has a lot of these like haymaker style cards in it so maybe we shouldn't be too surprised that that, that that's what's happening but is that a trend you think in pioneer that the the medium decks are going to be able to pick up these like burst potential that just ends the game i feel like that puts us in a like kind of a not a splinter twin situation but you know what i mean where it's like you know starting to have adopt some of the characteristics of some of the decks that you see in modern sometimes what do you think well the thing about pioneer is you know let the interaction kind of sucks right. right the the best removal spell is fatal push by far but past fatal push there's like all the removal is two mana or conditional. You don't have unholy heat, prismatic ending. Their leyline binding is very restrictive. Like you can play binding, but there's no fetch lands, right. uh, no solitude, no fury. So the removal is just generally a lot worse in Pioneer, and I think that's why you see a lot of these like either linear non-interactive decks or decks that are trying to adopt that kind of big end game is they're trying to take advantage of, well, not just the lack of removal, but also, again, as we talked about earlier, the increase in mono green. Like you, the, the, when the format goes towards mono green and decks that are beating mono green, the, the natural response to that is just, you have to keep pace with right. them. Like you can't play a long game with mono green. They're going to bury you at storm the festival and bury you with cards and all this stuff. So you just have to have this like, you know, I need to get this game over with as quick as possible or have the option to do that. You don't have to build your entire deck around it, but you need to have that avenue available. Yeah. Awesome. Let's let's talk about the last deck on your list, Naya Tokens. Um, this one <laughs> is one of those ones that like I read the deck list. I looked at it and I was like, A, I don't think I'm going to play this deck, but B, I don't even know what the is going on here really that is the powerful synergy that's happening to me what was interesting was looking through this list and going like this is a lot of standard cards in this list with a couple of like powerful yeah. things on top of it yeah so the idea here is i wanted to try out the new elishnorn that was actually a card that when i first read it um it felt really like it reads really powerful. Flip it and make you know what? Just make five tokens immediately. The next turn they all get double strike, and the synergy here is you're pairing that with like a lot more ways to make tokens. You have Fable, Winning Announcement, Essica's Chariot, uh, Prosperous Innkeeper, a way to make treasure to ramp you up. You're combining all of that with Mondrak, which 
doubles your tokens. And then you also have Voice of Resurgence, which you can sacrifice to Elishnorn or Mondrak. It's actually kind of cool with Mondrak because you sack the voice to Mondrak and you get two voice tokens mm. because of the Mondrak's ability. So that, there's some kind of cool stuff you can do there. And then like Invasion of Ixalan kind of just ties the room together because it's just, you know, finds basically everything in the deck with the exception of the two of raids. So there, that's kind of like the synergy that we're going for is just like, you know, get, get a wide board, make a bunch of tokens, uh, you know, maybe flip a winning announcement, flip an Elishnorn, because Elishnorn's a lot. That that card's really good. I, I think it's really good, too. It, I The casting cost is, like, unbelievable on that card for what it does. It's like four. four. Even the first, the, the first ability just came up quite a bit, too. I was surprised at that. Just the, the uh, whenever life. source deals damage. Yeah. yeah, I was actually surprised how often that came up. Interesting. So, but this one is not quite on your front front burner for decks you're considering for wide field tournaments like a challenge or something like that yet no because this deck has no chance of beating monogreen like ah. if you just look at the cards they they just don't line up that well enough and it, it's all about value like this deck you know if you're expecting like say if your metagame was i don't know 70 or 80 percent rakdos i don't know why it would be like that but this is like the rakdos killer right if you just look at all the cards they all just line up so well against rakdos yeah. Um, but yeah, this is like, can, can never beat Mono Green, can never beat Lotus Field, but really good against the fair decks. It's kind of like the, the occupy, the space that it occupies. Awesome. All right. Well, I think this has been a great, great trip through kind of pioneer list. Stan, did you have any other lists that you, that you saw this week that, from your FNM that you thought were interesting or Devin first pass at like the Rona deck? Any thought at like, are you seeing that deck? Is it actually happening? Or what do you think about that? We could talk about the Rota deck. Um, you know, I, I it's so weird because I played that deck like the first day that it came out or like the, the first day that Mom came out. I played a couple of leagues, I think one with Jeskai, one with Sultai. And I don't know what it was, but I just I wasn't like super impressed with it. And then I see like Todd's crushing with it. I saw uh, one of the one of my friends, Brennan, who just won an RCQ with it yesterday uh, has kind of just been all over the place. And I, I don't know if I necessarily buy into it quite yet. But the deck is doing some really powerful stuff. Gentlemen, good, good deck fest, as always. Before we wrap up, I, I do want to um, try something a little different on Mike, literally. I was grocery shopping before we started the show, and um, I saw that the grocery store had a beverage called Iron Brew. Have, have you guys ever heard of Iron Brew before? I have not. I've only heard of Iron City beer, which is why I kind of assumed that this is a beer when you mentioned it. it. It's not a beer. So I've never had it either. And I'm not surprised you haven't heard of it because it's, it's actually a Scottish soft drink. Okay. And I don't know if you can find it in all of England. I'm in north of, northern England, right next to Scotland. So maybe it's a little bit more common here. I've never had it before. I don't know what to expect whatsoever. The Scots love it. My wife, who studied abroad in scotland hates it and i thought it might be fun to just crack open a cold iron brew try it on mike and get a live reaction for those at home who are not watching this on youtube iron brew looks like an orange soda mm. it's orange yeah i'm googling it to try and see like if it can tell me what kind of flavor it has yeah don't, don't tell me like no i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> yeah don't tell me let's see <laughs> i want to see i'm trying to see what it is so that i can see your reaction and we can compare that to what it actually is you know <laughs> that's funny yeah, after i taste if you find a description of the flavor read it to me after i've tasted it and then because i'll see if i can even describe it so i have not opened this yet oh that sounded good oh, that asmr <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, join us for our new YouTube ASMR stream. We're going to have a cart, people snapping cards in their hands, people snapping cards, shuffling and opening bottles. Okay. So it smells like cream soda. Okay. Is, is the smell. By the way, on the bottle, it says brewed, spelled B-R-U apostrophe D, brewed in Scotland, a secret recipe since 1901. That's my, best recipe. Of, that's my best attempt at a Scottish accent. That's good. We're going to okay. get Danny Boyle right. on the line in a minute. He's mink. He, he's from Salford. Oh, this is good. What does it taste like? Well, okay, First it's reaction. sweet. Okay. It is sweet. a soft drink. It's sweet. It's like a orange cream soda. Like it, right. it's it's a little orange, but it's not like a like a sunkissed or orange crush. Okay. Um but it has like the cream sodaness to it. This is really, really tasty actually. Like this is this could be a refreshing like hangover beverage. So what I found was it says the it tastes like orange and black currant to many people, but others have described its taste as fizzy bubblegum or even a sweetened version of Listerine. <laughs> that last one is like all those sounds sounds good, sounds good, sounds good. And the last one is yeah. like, what wait. <laughs> What's what? that? I'm not getting the Listerine, the black no. currant. Like that there there's definitely something there. And the fizzy bubblegum, there's something there. Um so yeah, it's not minty at all. Like the Listerine is unusual. It's not. It's to me, it's zero percent minty. Yeah. All right, but this Good. is this is really tasty. There you go. I'm gonna have to get some Iron Brew imported now. We're we're starting a trend here. We'll get this clip on TikTok, and then pretty soon we'll be sponsored oh, we're by viral. We'll go viral with Iron Iron Brew reactions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe I could do more live British taste testing. Like next week, I'll just open a can of beans. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Um. That wraps up this week's show, Devin. I mean, at this point, the people know where to find you, but I think it would be poor form not to give you a chance to to rep rep yourself. Twitch.tv slash Doomwake and Twitter at YouTube as well. Yeah. And on the dive down, about every two to three weeks, I think is every our other week. Every other week is where we're at even. Yeah. yeah. Every other week. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Love to see it. Until right. they asked me to be on the tempo episode and then I'm... You're taking that week <laughs> off. We understand. Yeah. yeah. Look, we we've already explained tempo. You can disagree with our takes or or not, but we've solved it. <laughs> Listeners, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast and get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at the Dive Down, all one word, or you can email the Dive Down at gmail.com. You can also support our show at patreon.com slash the dive down and Support us while wearing stuff. Buy our swag at thedivedown.com slash store. You can support us while playing Magic Online with a Mana Trader subscription using promo code thedivedown2023, all one word. Gets you 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. You can get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more over at Barrister and Man using promo code thedivedown2023 for 15% off your first order. And save some money on paper cards at NRG, Nerd Rage Gaming. Promo code DIVE8 gets 8% off your order from them. As always, special thanks to the bands Noah and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play more Pioneers! <laughs>